0: Yeah, good to be here again. I shared uh, some of, not all, but some of this message with uh, the school here about six or seven years ago. And I just feel like this passage of scripture is really helpful for uh, those that are seeking to follow Jesus. It occurred to me that all those people, at least I hope all those people that were here six or seven years ago, aren't here anymore. And uh, it would be an appropriate thing for us to, to come back to this text. I think it will help. You, if you are, okay, if you are in Christ, you know that you are in him, that God has brought you to a place where you recognize I'm a sinner, I'm condemned by the law, I am far from perfect, in fact, I sin daily, and I acknowledge that I'm in trouble with a holy God, I'm in trouble with a righteous God, and God has brought you to that place whereby you turn from your sin to trust in Christ alone, what God has provided for you, That God has provided for every single one of you a provision that you might be forgiven and not only pronounced not guilty or forgiven, but also declared righteous. That God would grant to you the righteousness that Jesus Christ earned for you. I'm talking to you today, if that's you. If God's brought you to that place where you recognize your sin and you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone and you're following him, you want to follow Jesus, this passage is for you. And I, and I hope and trust and, and will pray will be helpful for your life. Give you some practical things to think through, not only today, but as you move forward. I hope that this passage, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and really the, the rest of the chapter that follows, can become a go-to for your spiritual walk with Jesus. Okay, so with that in mind, let's pray together and ask God to bless His Word in our hearts. God, we thank You so much for Your grace And your kindness to us, we are so grateful that you have indeed come here, Lord Jesus. We do long for you to come again, as we just sang, but we're thankful that you did come once already, and you lived the perfect life. We're thankful that you demonstrated in your life that you were indeed God in the flesh, And we're so thankful that even though you did not deserve it, you willingly went to the cross, and there you laid your life down as a sacrifice for sin. We're so grateful for that. Apart from that, we would be hopeless and hopelessly lost. So we say thank you. We ask for your help, for your guidance, for your spirit's presence in our hearts this morning as we look into your word. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, How many of you guys are runners, like you you do track? You can throw your hands up with me. Uh, Very cool. You can put your hands down. Um, I've never been a runner. Uh, I was an athlete in school, but uh, man, just like running for the sake of running, I I just always kind of hated it. Uh, So I've never even considered doing a marathon. Uh, Marathon runners, in my mind, like you guys are just beasts. If you guys are like into that sort of thing, you're a beast. But I found out something this summer that I I wasn't aware of before, and that was there are uh, races called ultra-marathons. Anybody familiar with that? In fact, one of our neighbors in Lincoln, where we live, in in our neighborhood, one of our neighbors runs these, and they're 100 miles. Actual races that are 100 miles, and they give you like 24 to 30 hours to finish it, and you got to run 100 miles. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's insane, right? And so he was describing for me how they do it. And basically, they, they run, you know, as long as they can possibly run. They stop uh, from time to time to grab a snack, maybe a 10-minute cat nap. And I was thinking about that. And I, I want you just to visualize that for a moment. Imagine that you're watching an ultra-marathon, maybe on ESPN, okay? Just use your imagination, you're watching this thing unfold on ESPN, and you're really into it. You're like, you're watching one particular dude. He's got his tights on. He's got, you know, a piece of paper staple to his chest with a number, and you're watching him run. And he's kind of getting worn out about mile 30, and so he stops off the side of the road to this little dive of a restaurant. Maybe he orders a burger or something, or maybe something lighter. I don't know, something to get his energy going again. And so he stops for his little meal, and he eats it, and man, he really enjoyed that. And as you're watching this on ESPN, you see that he orders round two. And you're going, okay, I mean, I, dude's run 30 miles, I mean, he's hungry, right? But we still got a lot of miles left, but he orders round, and then he orders round three. And you're like, dude, you got a, lot, a long way to go, man. But you're watching him and you're like, okay, and, and then he's like, You know what? I think I'm just going to check into this little hotel right here. I know this is sounding sounding crazy, but just just follow it. I'm gonna check into this hotel right here and, and he does that. He checks into the hotel and he just kinda of takes a nap. But it's not just a, a ten minute cat nap. He's down for like five hours and it's just still on the TV, right? Everything's just kind of rolling, and and they're panning over to other runners that are actually running in the race, but this dude over here, he's just snoozing hardcore, right? Let's say, for example, that he wakes up, and instead of jumping back out into the hallway, down the stairs, back to the track, no, he he grabs the remote, and he's like, I'm gonna catch up on some shows, right? And so he starts watching a little TV, And you're going, what in the world? Finally, he decides, you know what? That food last night was amazing. I'm going to go back downstairs and get some more of that food, maybe explore the town a little bit. But as he gets up, he catches a glimpse of himself in the mirror. And when he sees himself in the mirror, he notices those tights. And he notices that piece of paper stapled to his chest. And he's like, whoa! I'm in a race, right? Now, you're thinking to yourself, this story is insane, right? That dude's crazy. But guess what? I think, as crazy as that sounds, it's kind of like us in the Christian race sometimes. I think it would be good for us from time to time to look at some of the highlight footage of our life And see that, you know what, though we are as Christians actually in a race, sometimes it doesn't look like it at all, right? In fact, we kind of look like that guy. I mean, we're just gorging ourselves with stuff. We're flipping through channels on TV. We're kind of kicked back, relaxed, whatever. We don't look like we're running in a race at all. But my friends, what the Bible says is that you are in a race. You are in a race. And if you are in a race, there are markers that should signal that to those around you. Yes, my, my man, my brother, my sister is in a race. And they are running. They are pressing towards a particular goal. And the markers are all over their lives. If you would take your Bible with me and go to Hebrews chapter 12, perhaps you've already uh, turned there, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read just the first two verses of this text, but before we read this text, I, I want you to, to just be clued in to the reality that you're going to see kind of a picture here of an Olympic race, and you'll, you'll see several markers if we could go to the first slide. You're going to see a track and a crowd. You're going to see athletes getting prepared or having made preparations. You're going to see the race itself, and you're going to see an award ceremony, all in two verses, okay? So use your imagination as we read this text of Scripture. A track and a crowd, athlete preparations, a race, and an award ceremony. Check it out in your text. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, use your imagination. Perhaps you're starting to see, maybe in your mind's eye, a stadium. We're surrounded, stadium, there's people, there's spectators here by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight. Maybe you've got in your mind some athletes taking off some warm ups. They're getting ready to run. Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. An athlete focused down a lane towards the finish line looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. With that last phrase, you can perhaps see in your mind's eye an awards ceremony. So did you see these four things? Uh, I got a few pictures I want to show you. If we could click through some of this next one here perhaps is just helpful for our imagination uh, can you see the text there we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses what what might the writer to Hebrews have in mind here I think he's imploring or uh, employing the imagery of a stadium of a track right um, imaging us as runners in a race, but people are all around us kind of pulling for us, cheering us on. He's referencing Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, The writer of the Hebrews is saying, you've just heard about all these people who uh, trusted God. Many of them, when it didn't make sense from an earthly vantage point, didn't make sense at all. And yet they trusted God. And God showed up for them and, and used them in amazing ways. They were, these were average, ordinary people that simply trusted God and, and he worked in mighty ways. And, and these are all examples for you and they're all in effect around you, sat around you, cheering you on. Right? Cheering you on. So he says, you also run. You also run. You also see, I think, even in just this picture that they've already laid aside some stuff, right? None of these guys on the track are wearing their parka, like we all came in, right, 10 degrees or something outside. They're not wearing that stuff. Why? They're trying to run, man, right? They're trying to run. You might think their shorts are a little too short, but they're not too long, (laughs) are they? They're not risking tripping over anything, right? They're not wearing flip-flops either, or combat boots. They're ready, right? The gear that they do have on is not um, entangling them at all. They're able to run, and run smoothly. If we could go to the next slide. They're also fixed in their mind, in their eyes. I love this picture of this dude right here. I mean, his eyes are locked in, aren't they? He's agonizing towards the goal. His eyes are, are, are locked down the lane. In fact, he's jumping over a hurdle and yet not looking at the hurdle. Isn't that great? It's a great picture for me. He's jumping over a hurdle, but he's not even looking at that. He's looking at something else. What is he looking at? He's looking at the finish line and down his lane. He's not waving at his mom, right, or any person in the crowd. He's not even looking at the guy beside him or the hurdle, he's looking down the track. His eyes are fixed towards the goal down his lane. And then lastly, uh, we got a couple slides that signify what it's like to win. Anybody, by the way, that's not a teacher? Anybody know who this dude is? I didn't think so. This is, this is more my generation. That, that is one of the greatest Olympic champions for America that we've ever had. His name is Carl Lewis. He's running down the track having won a gold medal with the American flag. I mean this is a great moment. This is a great moment. This is triumph. We could click through the next couple. This is another one, Justin Gatlin. And then there's, there's our guy Carl again. He's on the podium. The national anthem's being played. He's on the podium. And uh, this is the culmination. Okay, this is the culmination. You see at the very end of this text, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down. Jesus Christ is the ultimate champion. Here's one thing that's cool about this. You guys don't even know who Carl Lewis is? Trust me, if you were, if you were around and like locked in in the early 90s, you'd know who Carl Lewis is. But you guys don't even know who he is. Guess who we do know about? We know about Jesus. We know about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate champion, okay? Now, you might say, well, Dustin, okay, with these images, I can, I can kind of see this text better. I can see what the author is doing here with all this race imagery, but what do I need to see? Well, I just want to give you three things, my friends, three things that you and I need to see in this text and think about as you run the race as a Christian, Three questions. First of all, where is your focus? We're going to look at three things. Your focus, your freedom, and your fuel. But first of all, where is your focus? Are you focused on this race that God has called you to run as a Christian? Are you focused down the lane? Are you focused on the finish line? If we could grab from our opening illustration... Or are you like that dude that has simply gotten sidetracked? What the writer to the Hebrews says at the very beginning of this text is this, let us also run. You see that in your text, in your Bible? All this is just coming straight out of the Bible. Okay, he says, let us also run. In other words, we're not to look back in Hebrews chapter 11 like we often do and go like, wow, wow. Those people were amazing. That was cool. Look at what Abraham did or look at what Noah did. I mean, that was amazing. Like, yeah, what an act of faith. Bravo. No. Those examples are to spur us on. Like, we're not in the crowd. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, we're not in the crowd. We're on the track. You've got a jersey. You got a number. Uh, So the writer of the Hebrews says, now having said all of this, you also run. Get out there on the track and run. Uh, So question, are you focused? Are you focused down the lane? Are you focused on this race? Um, Is your life arranged around it? Okay. I'm going to press into this a little bit more as we as, as we move through this, but is your life arranged around it? I want to encourage you guys, do do a bit of an inventory, a little bit of a budget analysis of your life, how you spend your time, what your heart loves. Is your life arranged around this race? Where is your focus? What are you focused on? Number 2, where is your freedom? Where is your freedom? Or what about your freedom? Are you free to run? Are you free to run? What does this text point out about that? He says, Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. Uh, two things that you and I need to be free from in order to actually run the race. We, we saw this in the imagery of those dudes on the track, not wearing flip-flops or combat boots or parkas or anything like that, but rather they, they are prepared and equipped and ready to run. They are free, first of all, from weights, or you might say anything that would slow them down. Free from weights or anything that would slow them down. The point is that an intentional runner in a race is happily eliminating things in order that they might run at peak performance. They are happily eliminating things. Even things that are, you might say, good things. I happen to be an ice cream guy. I mean, I love a good trip to Dairy Queen or Cold Stone or something like that. I love that. And my kids love it too, okay? Nothing wrong with a good bowl of ice cream, but I I tell you what, some of those guys that you saw on the track, I guarantee you they're not just hammering ice cream every night. No way. Why? Because they're they're competing for Olympic gold, man. And so Dairy Queen is kind of off limits. Right? For much of the time, Dairy Queen is kind of off limits. It's certainly not a daily thing. Why? Because they're trying to win. Please watch me, guys. They're trying to win. They're competing for the glory of their country, for the glory of their own, you know, pride in what they've accomplished, for an Olympic medal to be able to stand on a podium and hear their national anthem. So therefore, the idea of eliminating some ice cream is not that big of a deal. But let me ask you as a Christian, what about your life? What are the weights that are slowing you down? What's keeping you from really pursuing Christ? What's keeping you from really going hard after Him, or serving Him at peak performance? What is it? Just think about your life, okay? What's most important? Really, this is a question of priorities, all right? It's a question of priorities. What am I actually giving myself to? Let me ask you this question. What good things have become distracting things and are ultimately slowing you down? Just think through this with me. One author put it this way. When good things become ultimate things, ultimate things, ultimately good things can become destructive things. When good things become ultimate things, Even good things can become destructive things. More often than not, the writer goes on to say, the greatest enemy of our affection is not something, or more often than not, is something that is morally neutral. Let me read that again. The greatest enemy of your affection, more often than not, is something that is morally neutral. We used to do these things when I was a kid. I don't know if you guys do them anymore. Maybe you do it at some sort of field day here at school, but any, any, uh, any of you guys ever done a three-legged race before? Okay, a few of you have. Uh, so you know, what, you know what that's all about. You know, you got a partner and you, you tie your legs together, etc. Uh, occasionally in some of those three-legged races, uh, two people just get, you know, in rhythm and, and they're kind of moving, right? They're kind of moving, but most of the time and it seems like the girls are usually better than the dudes at this, most of the time yeah, it's just a mess, right? It's just chaos because you're not in rhythm and, and your legs are just, yeah, it's just not working and you're falling all over the place, right? Um, here's the deal. Even if you got in rhythm, if you can follow me, even if you got in rhythm, it's still not like running on your own, is it? I mean, If you're tied to someone else, it's going to slow you down or if you've got ankle weights on, it's going to slow you down. But once you untie that, okay, guys, girls, once you untie that, or once you take those ankle weights off, suddenly you feel a freedom, a freedom. Here's what I'm asking you to do, and I want you to talk about this in your small groups afterwards. What are some things that are not necessarily sin, not necessarily bad things, but you know good and well it's consuming way too much of your time, way too much of your energy, energy, way too much of your thought, that you really don't have any margin left to pursue Jesus. What are some of those things? Maybe it's Instagram. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's Twitter. Maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's a favorite show. Okay? Maybe, it, maybe it's just something that you love. All right? That's not a bad thing. But it's become an ultimate thing. It's become an ultimate thing that you, in effect, have given your life to. You've arranged your life around such that you really can't pursue Jesus or pursue serving him like you could if you just laid that down a bit. Some of us are so entangled, I think so weighed down, we can't even think about really pursuing Jesus. And thus, when we talk about how much we love him, you're going like, I don't know. I don't know. When we sing songs like, come, Lord Jesus, come, you're kind of like, come, Lord Jesus, come. If you want to. But I'm cool just just scrolling away on Instagram, too. Maybe that's your thought. I would just tell you, if that's your thought, the reason is, is because you're not pursuing him. Those who do find him, as the psalmist said, find him to be a delight, far more satisfying than anything you can find on Instagram or Facebook. And that, that whole thing is a trap. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm not. Please hear me. But it can just be a trap for your affections. So freedom from weights, first of all, but, but then secondly, freedom from sin. What bad things, I'll ask you this, what bad things have become habitual things and are just taking you out? Just taking you out. I got pranked in school one time during class. One of my friends snuck under my seat. I don't know if I fell asleep or something, but I snuck under my seat and tied my shoes together. Don't do this, by the way. All right but tied my shoes together and when the bell rang and I, I got, got up to, you know, to leave, my shoes were tied together and I, I just hit the floor and all my friends laughed at me, right? Here's the deal, like you might can get in a nice rhythm in a three-legged race, it's not, it's not like running on your own, but you can get in a light, nice rhythm that way, but let me just tell you, if your shoes are tied together, you ain't going nowhere, right? Maybe hop a little, but you ain't going nowhere. Um, here's the deal distractions can weigh you down. But sin is going to take you out. All of us are sinners, okay, so let's be very clear. All of us are sinners, and we all battle with it. But I think what the writer to the Hebrews is, is saying here is this. We all know, we all know that there are potential strongholds in my life that I could give myself to that are anti-God and will rob me of my affections for Jesus altogether. There are strongholds. And it's going to be different. James tells us it's going to be different for every person. Okay? We're all drawn away by our own unique lusts. For some of us, it's going to be uh, habitual lying, maybe stealing and covering that up. And maybe some of these go together. It could be lust. It could be bitterness. Okay? Uh, it could be a plethora of things. It could be many of those things together. The deal is this. Where is your heart? Guys, girls, where is your heart? Is there a particular sin that you, as you think about your life and evaluate your actions, you go like, yeah, I've kind of given myself to that. It keeps showing up in my heart. My heart is, is cold because of this bitterness, Or I keep lying and then having to lie more to cover up and and I'm eventually creating this person that doesn't actually even exist and I'm trying to live up to this reality and and I need you just blow that straw man down. Or maybe I'm on my phone every night and I'm tempted to go and view pornography. And it's just got a stronghold over my heart and my eyes, and I need to just confess it to one of my teachers or one of my close friends and get accountability and help so that I can actually pursue Jesus because I'm just, I'm just weighed down by this sin. This is what he's saying. Some of us aren't even on the track. We're just kind of off to the side. We're just kind of laying around somewhere, and the whole crowd is around us and like, what's the deal? It's because we are taken out of the race in sin and we're so wholly devoted to it and given over to it that we're we're not running perhaps maybe just doing a little bit of a limp job but we're not really running we can't we can't because sin has taken us out of this race Could i remind you guys and girls or perhaps tell you the Bible is very clear, you cannot walk in the Spirit and in the flesh at the same time. Again, Paul in that text, please hear me, is not saying that you have to be perfect to walk in the Spirit. All of us battle with sin. What he's saying is you can't intentionally give yourself, give yourself over to habits which are opposed to God and think that you're following God at the same time. You can't. And I bring this reminder to us this morning because I think we're often prone to think we can. It's all right, it's all right just to keep this around a little bit. Maybe I'm only doing it once in a while. It's not that big of a deal, right? Come on. I mean, I'm a kid, right? And we make excuses for ourselves. And we're not really pursuing Jesus. We're not really running the race. We're like that guy at the beginning just chilling out in a hotel room, and people are going, I thought you were in a race. We're not. Uh, Consider this quote from John Stott. To sow to the sinful nature, or the flesh, is to pander it, to cuddle and stroke it, instead of crucifying it. This is our our attitude towards sin. Okay? Okay? what we ought to be doing is crucifying it, seeing it as poison, not as freedom. My friends, please hear this. Sin is poison disguised as freedom. There's a, por- a portion of your heart that's always going to say, you know what, I don't want to live underneath the authority of God's Word. Rather, I'd like some freedom out from underneath the authority of God's Word to kind of do what I want. What the Bible is telling you is very simple. That's not freedom! Here he's using race imagery to tell you that. It's not freedom. It's just poison disguised as freedom. All it will do is cripple you and take you down slowly. Little by little, you'll you'll spiral down out of control. Sin isn't freedom. It's not your friend. So we need to be about killing it, putting it to death, exposing it, bringing it into the light, confessing it, and moving away from it. Stock goes on to say, so instead of doing that, here's what we often do. Every time we allow our minds to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing seeds to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we know we ought to be up, every time we view pornographic material, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, 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 sowing to the flesh. Here's what he says. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness the writer of the hebrews is saying man you can't run if you're giving yourself to sin so lay it aside what about your freedom where's your focus are you actually in the race have you arranged your life around the race and then secondly do you have the freedom to run can you actually run this race thirdly and finally what about your fuel what about your fuel are you running on empty? Are you running on empty? The question is, where do we get the fuel to run? Gatorade has done some great commercials over the years. One of which that comes to mind is, these dudes playing basketball or something and they're, and they're, they're sweating it out. And, uh, and they're drinking purple Gatorade or blue Gatorade. And what they did in the commercials make it look like their sweat was blue. Or purple. And then they ask their slogan. Is it in you? Is it in you? And they're trying to communicate subtly that in order to perform at peak, you need some Gatorade, right? You need some Gatorade. What do we need as as Christians? To fuel us. What you need, guys and girls, is the gospel. What you need is the gospel. What does he say to us? If you've arranged your life around this race, if you're actually running it, and you are working to rid yourself of that which is slowing you down or taking you out, if you've got the freedom to run, where's your fuel? Your fuel is found in fixing your eyes on Jesus. What the text says, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? It's interesting to note that even the way this is written, it communicates that this is to be a rhythm. It's not a one time fix your eyes on Jesus, but continually fixing your eyes on Jesus. So just quickly, My friends, you and I must be motivated by His love, fueled by His love. This is mind-blowing to me that Jesus took joy, took joy in shame for you. Is that not phenomenal? He took joy, took joy in going to the cross? Why did this give Him joy? A couple of reasons, number 1, to fulfill his father's plan, to fulfill the father's father's will, but secondly, to win you. To win you. This is why Jesus took joy in going to the cross. Because in doing so, he was making it possible for you to come into the family, making it possible for you to be forgiven. And so, in effect, Jesus is saying in this text, and and the writer to Hebrews is saying, you need to remember this. Jesus is saying to you, I'll endure this for you. I'll endure this for you. Even though Jesus was perfect in every way, Jesus is saying, I'm willing. I'm willing to be crucified for you. I'm willing to be slandered and spat upon for you. I'm willing to be beaten and mocked for you. This is his great love. This is God saying to you, these are the links. Please hear this, my friends. These are the links that I'm willing to go to get you into my family. To get you into my family. As an individual. Not to get a country into his family, but to get you. That's amazing. There's nothing more motivating than that. So as you run the race, why are you doing it? Are you doing it just because the school said you should? Or your parents think you should? Or because the God of the universe actually died for you? The God of the universe actually loves you and wants you with him in his family for all eternity. That's fuel. Okay, brothers and sisters, that's fuel. So, be motivated, fueled by his love, but then Secondly, finally, with this I'll be done, be motivated by his victory, that he won. He won. We saw the pictures of uh, the athletes with medals around their necks, standing on podiums, hearing their anthems being played. Um, You see this reflected in Jesus only to an ultimate sense. You see verse 2, he has sat down. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 hurls this out. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? Let's try that again. So death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? Amen. Amen, that's right. Colossians chapter 2. Paul there writes, He, Jesus, canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. But this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Wherefore, Philippians chapter 2, God has also highly exalted him and has given him a name, Jesus, above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. This, my friends, is motivating. Even as you think about the sin, which perhaps you've tried to get rid of before. And you've been discouraged about. Like, I don't, I, I've tried, man. I don't know how I can. Be motivated and encouraged by Jesus' victory. His victory. Because He won, you can also win. Because he was victorious, you can also have victory. This is true for you if you are in Christ. Okay? So think about Hebrews 12:1 and 2, and about your race that God has called for you to run as a Christian. Okay, think about this and ask these questions. What about your focus? Have you arranged your life around this race? Or are you just kind of chilling out in the hotel room? Okay, hey, think about it. Have you arranged your life around this race? What about your focus? Secondly, what about your freedom? Are you actually free to run? Do you have any margin in your life? Or are you wholly devoted over to this, that, and the other so that you're, you're not really running? Or are you entangled, entangled in specific sins that you know you need to confess today? Confess today and move away from today. And then lastly, where are you getting your fuel? I'm just telling you, the only fuel, the only fuel that feeds all the, other, all the other fuels of God's grace is the gospel. You must, I must fix my eyes on Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much for the opportunity for us to look into your truth. I pray that you would use this word In the lives of these students, I pray, God, that you would bring about victory in some lives today. I pray that you would help us to all get back in the race and run for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.